Hey, welcome back to Giovanni Andreoli's Movies and More, where I talk about movies and more. So, surprise, there's a new episode today. I said there wasn't going to be a new episode until about the second or third, after I get some books signed by Brian K. Vaughn, and after I hit up the Marvel exhibit in Philly. Uh, I did one of those two things, but I don't really feel like waiting over a week for another episode. So, it's a Saturday, I don't have anything to do. I've done, like, the one thing I wanted to get done today. And, um... I decided that I'm going to record. So that's what I'm doing right now. I have a bit of a different recording setup. Hold on, I need to, I need to rearrange some things right here. <coughs> okay, we're good. Had to adjust my chair. Shoot, this is weird. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not totally comfortable in it yet, but we'll see how it grows over time. If you heard the door open, that was my dog. I left the the studio door open in case he wanted to come in. Hi, buddy. Hi. You want to lay down and be a good boy? So I don't have to parent you? Oh, that's a good boy. It's for the podcast. Oh, you're so cute. Uh, I'll post a picture of him on the show's new Instagram. Second surprise. Uh, I have uh, I've launched some things over this past couple of days, so I don't know if I mentioned it on the show before, I'm almost positive I didn't, but in case, you know what, either way, uh, I've been working on a comic for, I have mentioned it, I have mentioned it, okay, but but I finished it finally, I finished chapter one of The Last Hero on Earth, and I'm so excited, and I got it all printed out after a very tumultuous path, but uh, we, we finally got it done, we got it figured out, and it's all printed, it's all cut out, it's all stapled together, and it is sitting bagged and boarded in a bag from the comic book store so that when my parents get home, I can be like, hey, look what I just did. And then afterwards, we're going to Staples, we're going to make some more copies, and I'm going to bring them into work today for the people who, or today, not today, tomorrow, for the people who requested them. And that's pretty exciting, because I've never had a comic that looks this professional. And this one doesn't even really look professional, but in comparison... It's like, I mean, might as well be a prestige format book. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And I'm glad that, like, almost two months' worth of work has finally come to a head in a pretty exciting first issue. So, 28 pages. I'm really excited about it. I'm not sure how to launch it more broadly. I'm thinking about self-publishing, but we'll see how it all shakes out. But for now, it's just a private passion project that I'm really excited about and I just figured I'd say some things about. Especially considering the two of the people who won copies are like half of the listeners of the show. Anyway, um, what else was I going to talk about? Oh yeah, I launched an Instagram for that, a new email address for that. I'm just balancing all these email addresses and stuff. Um, these Instagram accounts. But, but one of the other Instagram accounts that I'm balancing is the one for this show. So I officially launched Movies and More Pod. That's the that's the handle on Instagram at Movies and More Pod. And I posted a little teaser for this episode. And I thought I could do some behind the scenes stuff, maybe some looks at my recording studio in quotes. Uh maybe some pictures of my dog, my movie room, I don't know, all kinds of things. Uh I could put teasers up for some of the movies that I'll be watching ahead of time, or I'm sure I could post pictures from 
Philly or New York or whatever, some of those stories that I tell so you have a visual reference. I thought that would be interesting to try. So uh, we're going to give that a shot. We'll see how it goes. But that's just a... I mean, that's what I've been up to for the most part, besides the the Philly trip, which was really, really fun. I bought everybody dinner. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. And, and then we came home, and it was, it was cool. We didn't really do anything else, is a lie I just told. We went to the Marvel exhibit at the Franklin Institute, of course, and I'm sure you're absolutely dying to hear about it, but I'm going to save it for like a big story time episode next time. So it'll be a package deal. Uh, Marvel BKV meeting for the first time. That's not true. But but like stories about them, it might be for the first time. I don't know how many stories people tell that are like mutu- mutually exclusive stories. So it's like about Marvel and then it's about Brian K. Vaughn. And they don't really tie in, but like you tell them as one. I don't know if anybody's ever done that before. So I might be a bit of a trailblazer here. I don't even know what I'm saying. Anyway, that'll be next episode. Both stories about my trips to do nerdy comic book stuff. But for now, I was searching my brain for ideas about, uh, like, what what am I going to do today? Because I haven't really watched anything. Oh, oh I did start The Boys on Amazon. Uh, the amount of warnings... That came up on the screen before that the first episode started. Oh my god. I was like, you know what? I'll just give like five minutes of this a shot. Because chances are, I'm not even going to finish it anyway. So who cares? And so I, I watched like a bit of it. And you know, it looks pretty good. A little cheesy. But pretty good. And uh, I definitely am intrigued by the comic. I have been for a while. It sort of seems like a more vulgar powers... I think, I don't know if you've ever heard of Powers or The Boys, either one, but they both basically are set in a world where uh, superheroes exist, but I guess Powers is more grappling with your place in the world as a law enforcement officer when you have superpowered beings who basically do your job for you, and then, I don't know. You can probably hear my dog going downstairs because he decided that he doesn't want to be with me anymore. I'm sorry about that. It's pretty loud and annoying. Uh, but we're going to move past it. I Yes, The Boys is kind of like that, except it's more like military-minded. It's like a special ops team designed to kill superheroes because they're just reckless D-bags. Uh, so they're both really cool alternate takes, like alternate perspectives on a superhero world. And I think that's pretty cool. But, but yeah, I probably won't watch it again. I mean, we'll see. I have a really hard time sticking with TV shows. The only TV shows I have ever stuck with are Stranger Things and Jackie Chan Adventures. So, yeah. Those are some goals, by the way. There's like five seasons of Jackie Chan Adventures and a tie-in book for like every episode. And I read all of them, okay? I read all of them and I watched every episode. I know, gangster. Oh my god, I'm trying to record a podcast. I don't know if you guys can hear, there's helicopters going around over my house right now. I'm probably circling. 
making sure I don't spill any secrets. Uh, but, like, this is not the first time helicopters have been going over my house today. There was, like, two flying really low. Not, like, directly over my house, but, like, over the neighborhood and, like, into the next. And, I mean, they didn't land, obviously, but, like, it was kind of ominous and weird. Uh, anyway, hopefully things remain quiet, but I doubt it because my dog is not asleep. And so he's just roaming around the house. We'll see how it goes. It's been eight minutes in, and uh, I sort of haven't even revealed what I'm going to talk about. I mean, the the episode title probably did, but in case you didn't read it, I was searching my brain, and I thought, you know what I need to read? Read. You know what I need to review? Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> Alright, look. I know you guys are all probably sick of hearing me talk about Spider-Man and superheroes in general. And my mom listened to the podcast herself. She listened to all seven episodes in a day, like an absolute beast. Uh, And she gave me a lot of constructive criticism, which was very helpful. Uh, And one of the things she said directly goes against what I just said. However, like two-thirds of the episodes so far have been about Spider-Man, I feel like, or, like, superheroes in some way, and I know there certainly is a market for me branching out, which is why I've been making arrangements for a couple other episodes. I obviously have the story time spectacular planned for next time, uh, and I want to do the Edgar Wright-a-thon at some point. I was actually planning to reserve some of his movies uh, from the library, later today, which, real quick plug, I know we all get caught up in streaming services and direct whatever the crap, Redbox, whatever, whatever, dude, and, like, go to your library, seriously, it's all free, just get a library card, and then you have, like, every movie and TV show ever, it's amazing, and I mean, yeah, you only get it for a certain period, but you can renew it then, free of charge, it's, like, not enough people uh, show respect for their libraries. Depending on where you live, there's probably, like, multiple branches really close to you. So, I mean, give it a shot. See if you like it. It's pretty awesome. I, uh, I, w- I watch a lot of movies that I can't find anywhere else. I watch them, like, from the library. So, yeah, definitely try that. But, but yeah, I'm going to reserve... Some of his movies that I haven't seen. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, World's End. Probably get Baby Driver because I haven't seen it in a while, like, since it came out. So, I don't think I'm missing anything. Because Hot Fuzz is on Netflix, and so is Scott Pilgrim. And Scott Pilgrim I basically have memorized, so I don't even really need to watch that again. But, yeah, so I'm planning that, which is still sort of superhero-y, but... Well, not superhero, it's still sort of comic booky, uh, in cert- certain films, but for the most part, it's in different genre. And then, at some point pretty soon, I'd like to do a John Hughes-a-thon. That might even end up happening before the, uh, the Edgar Wright-a-thon. Because I have a lot of his big movies, and I'm... Hoping to convince my mom to let me watch Weird Science tonight, as long as we don't have anything else to do. So, that'll, I mean, that'll be basically completing, like, the set. So, I should be able to, uh, to review a lot of those pretty soon. And then, 
Okay, so I these are mostly not topic-centric. These are mostly just creator-a-thons. But I'd also like to do, uh, like, an image-a-thon. Now, I don't know... Are, like, I know I don't have, like, in terms of an expansive collection. Like, it's relatively small in terms of the amount of image books I have. It's almost one short box. But the other seven are filled literally... All of them, save for one, are filled with DC and Marvel. One's IDW, because it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles meet Ghostbusters. Uh, that's that's that whole box. But other than that, Marvel and DC. And I've just sort of started to get into Image recently. Uh, and I, I have my phone currently stacked on all Image books, except for Spider-Man Life Story, which is a quick plug since we're talking about Spider-Man later. It's a good alternate version I would recommend. Uh, but but yeah, so I've been reading a lot of Image lately, and the con- the collection has been steadily expanding. So I'd like to go through and talk about some of my favorite series, a lot of the ones I'm looking forward to getting. Uh, and, and yeah, I think that'll be fun. So to look forward to Edgar Wright-a-thon, John Hughes-a-thon, and Image-a-thon. It's almost like its own separate series. Dog... If you mess up this podcast one more time, are you okay, buddy? It's just a table. It's been here for a while. It's okay. Settle down. Oh, boy. Craziness, I tells you. All right, without further ado, I've told you what to look forward to. I've told you about my future plans. I've told you about some stuff that I've been finishing up. I've told you about new developments in creative projects. I think it's time to get on to the main event. Before I sort of try to do my best to move away from superhero stuff, I'd like to release sort of a a magnum opus of superhero reviews. And this is one of the most important movies to me right now. Uh, And it is going to be fun to do a positive review of a Spider-Man movie and to ostensibly solely focus on that review. Because, yes, I know it's been like 15 minutes already, but my hope is that the rest of the episode will be predicated on reviewing Into the Spider-Verse. So, let's stop pussyfooting around. Let's get into this. Alrighty, alright, 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 here we go. It's me straightening my notes. Okay. Yeah, so I'm trying to say my piece, and then trying to make this the last word on the webhead for a while. My notes state, okay. This is going to be a beat-by-beat review, so settle in. And yes, I did take these notes from memory. Okay, so from the start of this movie, the animation is amazing. This is actually one of my favorite parts of the movie, weirdly, is the the credits, because the quick flashes of the world that it gives you are really interesting, and the different looks at the Marvel Marvel logo, Pascal Pictures logo, and the Columbia logo are all really cool to see, and then the quick nod to the Comics Code Authority is really fun, even though, I mean, it's never cool to censor artwork, but, I mean, like, you know what, let's not get into it, but, but don't, don't censor that kind of stuff. Especially, like, 
Atomics, it's it's harmless. It's it's harmless. But we're still having the same debate today. Alright. It's cool though. Either way. Uh and I think the other thing it does, besides just being a fun nod, is showing like an actual reverence for the source material. Uh and like beyond that, like a love for it. Because I think that's honestly more important. You can you can be faithful to something without capturing the spirit or the soul of it. And I think that requires, like, getting to the heart. Like, getting to the reasons why you love a character or concept. And then translating them into a new adaptation. And I think this movie does that really well. Especially because it makes it clear from the start that it's pulling from a lot of different interpretations of Spider-Man to create this interpretation of Spider-Man. And I think that's really cool. And one of the things that sets this movie apart from past Spider-Man movies is that it's clear from the jump that the makers of this movie love the character, love the world, and they're trying to show you why and make you agree. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that's... You can see it in a lot of movies where that's not the case. And in this one, I feel like you can definitely tell. They love Spider-Man, and they're going to make you love Spider-Man. And I mean, they didn't have to work hard for me. Anyway, so we move into this. We start the framing device of the comic book origin, and we see that this Peter Parker's universe is just different enough from ours that it's recognizable, but, but slightly off. And I think that's really clever and visual way to show us that this is like an alternate universe situation with like the coca soda and the um peter's blonde and the the kiss with mary jane she's upside down instead of him and he punches the car instead of jumping out of the way and all that stuff it's very similar to moments we've seen before but it's 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 different enough so we get that 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 we're in a different universe and then this like is the first instance of a through line that carries through the film which which is that every new spider person we meet has a comic book origin that gives us quick flashes of where they came from and then leads us up to where they are today and i think that's a really efficient method of storytelling especially because it is narrated but a lot of it's visual and i think that's really cool especially in animation taking advantage of visual storytelling is just smart filmmaking so Alrighty, after the first, like, two minutes, if we can move out of that, we meet Peter Parker. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We meet Miles Morales for the first time in any Spider-Man movie, and he is perfect. The, like, the childlike wonder and the singing the song wrong and the artistic side of him, it's all very clear from the beginning of the movie, and it's all done fantastically well. I think this is an unpopular opinion, but I believe, even though I like a lot of the early comics with Miles Morales, I think that he's severely underdeveloped. Besides the fact that he is a minority and that he isn't totally comfortable with being Spider-Man at the start of his career... He really doesn't have a lot of distinguishing features between Peter Parker. He's really smart. I mean, he yeah, 
he has both of his parents. He lives at a different school, but it's there's not a ton of real difference. So I sort of understand the complaint from some people that he's just a bland, race-swapped rip-off of Peter. I mean, they they don't really succeed at making their own webbing and everything, but I don't know. It just, it's so, like, it's so vastly different in terms of, like, character writing than Brian Michael Bendis, who was, who created Miles Morales. Uh, he, his interpretation of Peter Parker, it's very different from the traditional one while still being faithful, but you get a very fully formed character. Like, you you understand that he's very moody, he's got a lot of anger, but also sadness, and you get... There's a lot of layers to that character, and every issue, he sure to, he shades him a little more, and he's quick to anger, he hates his life to a large degree, and you understand what drives him and, and how he feels at any given moment, but I feel like Miles... It's a lot more simplistic than that. Well, that's certainly true. You understand what drives him. You understand where he comes from. But, like, it's not... It's not... I don't... I don't totally know. But it's... It's not as well done. There's just a certain, like, simplistic approach to it where it's just a less interesting, less complex character. Like, he's sad when he should be sad and he's happy most of the time. And he kind of flip-flops between being like, oh, I am a hero, but then I'm not. But then, like, that was really awesome. But then, like, you know, and it's sort of with no real rhyme or reason. Whereas Peter has more, like, random moments of grief where, like, you understand that things with Uncle Ben still affect him. And you see more why that drives him. And you get, like, small looks into his day-to-day life. And you see how that affects him as a person and how that affects Spider-Man. and It's just a lot better done. So I think that it's one of the best things this movie does is that it does the same thing. Is that it shows you a lot of Miles' friends. It shows you little details about his life, like that he's bilingual. It shows you his hobbies, his friends, and... It, it, like, very clearly explains his family relationship and shows you how he's feeling about all the changes that are going on in his life, which helps to underline the pu- puberty metaphor that is pretty prevalent in this movie. And I think it's all just better written and better done, and it makes Miles a much better character. Because even just something as small as giving him graffiti as his predominant hobby, that's more than really the comics ever did. Like, Miles doesn't have any hobbies. There's nothing that he really likes to do or does for fun. He just kind of, he goes to Uncle Aaron's house and they watch movies and eat popsicles, but that's not very unique. I mean, I like movies and I like popsicles and so do most people. Like, it's, it's not very unique it's not he's not really a character he's just kind of a a bland subject for the audience to sort of project themselves onto which is maybe what we needed but i think 
it's cool that now this other interpretation can step in and say, okay, that's cool what you did, but we can do it better. Oh, that was pretty long-winded, but I think I said what I needed to say. All right, we're, we're moving right along. Uh, where am I? Okay, here's another comparison that I'd like to make. Uh, I think this movie does a really, really great job of making Brooklyn its own character. Because from the beginning of the movie, from the first couple of minutes, you meet Miles' friends and you see the people in his neighborhood and you get like a sense for how things work here and you understand what he's leaving behind for the new school and you also understand more the stakes of what's like what's at risk when the villain's plot like it almost works what he's trying to avoid happening he's trying to save brooklyn he's trying to save new york and because you meet so many random citizens and you you get to kind of know them a little bit it makes it feel like a more lived in more real world which is something that I think is very, very important when such the like a strong focus of the movie is trying to make you care about a hero's struggle to save a specific place or save specific people. When you know those people, that just makes that connection a lot stronger, and I think that's really important. Shazam actually does this really well uh, as well, because you can you make a connection with a lot of people in the movie, like just random people that don't factor into the plot at all, but you meet them and you see them, and it makes Philly feel like a much more, well, realized place. And so when he's trying to save it, it seems more dire, because we know the people that live there, and we don't want to see them die. Uh, The Dark Knight Rises is a very similar structure as around trying to save Gotham, but aside from characters that are necessary to the plot, or like, that the story is centered around, we don't really meet any random citizens. We don't meet people that aren't important to the story. And so when it's all about saving Gotham and saving this wonderful place that means so much to the hero, we don't, it doesn't mean much to us because we only see the, like the characters. We don't see any random people. So I think it's very important and this movie does it really well. And I'm appreciative of that. Oh, I thought it was getting dry already. So we also very quickly set up the divide between Miles and his dad and uh, Jeff's hate for Spider-Man, Miles' dad's hate for Spider-Man, because you see that he is a cop and he feels that accountability is very important when you're enforcing the law. And so he doesn't approve of a masked hero doing the same thing. And I think that's a really interesting perspective. And you set up two different points of view really quickly and it also goes to show like how Miles and his dad are sort of just generally in conflict and so then you understand more why he's running to maybe not a better role model but certainly one that he agrees with more in Uncle Aaron and I think that's really well done so we get some of Miles first day I think this is all really fun really fast-paced relatable and just like a good teen comedy kind of setup, the montage of all the classes and all the stuff he has to do, the stack of books is growing larger. Uh, we meet Gwen, sort of. We kind of have a quick conversation with her. Uh, we get the time is relative joke, which is 
one of the first instances of setup and payoff, which I love in this movie. There's a lot of moments that are set up in the first act and paid off in the third. And it's very well done, and it helps to structure the plot and keep it moving incredibly well. It's one of my favorite things about this movie. But we'll we'll get to Gwen a little bit later. So for now, I want to move on to Uncle Aaron, because this is another instance where I think the movie does the comics one better, where uh, Aaron is like a much more relatable, down-to-earth guy. Like, if I didn't know he was the villain going in because I read the comics, like, if I didn't read the comics, if I didn't know that twist was coming, I would totally just think, oh, he's just kind of the black sheep of the family, and he, but he's still, he's like a chill-ass dude, he's just really cool, and he's really supportive of Miles' talents, and he's trying to help him get more friends, and get a girlfriend, and he's asking him how he feels about the school, and, like, what's going on with him, where he's, He's doing a better job at reaching out to Miles than Miles' dad does. And just, he's just, like, a really cool guy. And, and the the vocal performance is really good from Mahershala Ali. Uh, it's all... It all really coalesces in a really good way. So it makes the character very fully formed and makes you care and invest in Miles and his relationship so that when he is revealed to be the Prowler, spoiler alert, a little later on in the movie... It's it hits more, it hurts more, and I mean we'll get into that a little later. But the fact that he never goes full villain, like as soon as he knows um, that Miles is the new Spider Man, he backs off in a big way. Is is just so much better, and I mean it's an interesting interpretation in the comics to have him be such a villain, like trying to have Miles perform, like, mob hits for him and, like, participate in crimes and threatening all these things against him if he doesn't do it. But that just makes you immediately lose respect for him in every way, and he's just a piece of crap. And then retroactively, you can't go back and feel their relationship the same way because you're like, no, you're just lying to this kid. You're going to eventually be a total poop man poop man you're gonna be like you're just gonna be the worst pretty soon so this is even i think better structured because then when you go back to watch the movie knowing the twist it hurts even more because you're like oh man he doesn't know what's coming but oh this sucks and you like don't want him to turn bad and that's i think that's really well done and i appreciate that this movie made that seemingly simple but pretty important decision so we get a lot more love for new york in these next couple of scenes which i also think is awesome the we get a lot of the subway we get miles yelling brooklyn like triumphantly when he sees the new uh spot and i think that's awesome about this movie as well that helps you buy into miles want to not only fulfill his promise to peter but also save new york city loving New York City is really important to feeling that and I think that's another part of this movie that's done really well look there's not going to be a lot of parts of this movie that I say are done poorly so you could sort of just like play the same audio clip of me saying this movie's really good and it does this part really well over and over again and you kind of get the idea but but yes for now it is another really good part of this movie 
Uh, very quickly, we get a lot of hints at the backstory of Miles and Aaron. We hint that Aaron is the Prowler because he knows about this spot because of an engineering job, quote-unquote. And he's good at parkour and stuff. So we get those hints. And we get a little bit of hints that he used to be kind of a criminal even when he was like friends like in a more or less contentious relationship with Jefferson with Miles Dead. So all of that is really well done and really quickly established, which is cool. It helps keep the movie moving along really well, but still provides a lot of important exposition to be paid off later. And the scene ends with Miles getting bit by the spider, which catapults us into the kind of whole night sleep time lapse scene. And then he has grown bigger and he's starting to develop powers the next day. And we can really see the puberty metaphor start to take place, which is really interesting. And I feel like a lot of interpretations of Spider-Man, regardless of if it's Miles or Peter or any other alternate version, I think it's an opportunity that they sometimes miss. It's not necessarily important, but already feeling like an outcast and then having something else that makes you different from other people is really interesting and could be a spot for good drama, and I think this movie does it well without overdoing it, is he keeps mentioning puberty, which makes it kind of more awkward for the people around him, and then he's developing all these new things about his body that he doesn't really know what to do with and or control, and I think that's all really well done. What is going on? Hold on, hold on. Lucky, come here. Okay, no joke. There was another helicopter that just flew over our neighborhood. What is happening? Okay, I mean, okay. (laughs) Maybe there's a massive cocaine deal going on down the street. And the FBI is keeping us on surveillance. I mean, I doubt it, but you never know. Alright, my notes are back. Let's keep going. Uh, Yeah, so I feel like they, they always kind of... There's a missed opportunity in that metaphor, and I think this movie does it really well. Uh, we meet Gwen a little more, or Gwanda, and he attempts his shoulder touch. It does not go well. We get the first hint of his powers, and we see Gwen get her new haircut. Another setup we off thing. And then the scene culminates in one of my favorite music cues in the whole movie, which is the whole thing like, wait a minute, there can't be two Spider-Man. Can there? And then the music starts going, and... He's freaking out, he's trying to call Uncle Aaron, and he's not picking up, and Miles is unintentionally doing flips. The dog is going downstairs again. I don't know what he needs, but he's doing the, the, the flips, and he's starting to develop his powers, and he's just freaking out, and he doesn't know what to do, and the music really suits this moment, and it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Just, just, just this little scene of him running through the street. And then... 
actually, I'd like to take a quick detour and talk about the score just in general. From the opening credits, the score for this movie is awesome. It's like sort of techno, and then some of the moments are a little more orchestral, and it's got a great mix of the both of them. And it's just super unique, and it suits the movie really well, and I love it. Sometimes I listen to it just for fun, by itself, because it's really, really good. Every piece of music is just like its own standalone awesome thing. Like, it really kicks ass. I love the score. And I thought I would highlight it because, I mean, it only gets better from here. But this is one of the first times you can really notice it, and it's one of my favorite tracks, but... I'm serious, the score. Oh, man, it's good. Uh, we meet... <clears throat> we meet Peter Parker, like, for real. When he saves Miles. Uh, we meet the Kingpin. And we meet Green Goblin. Not for long, because he's dead. But we meet him for a time. And we start to see the plan form as Miles retraces his steps. Because he finds his way to the Super Collider... And they are testing it. Spider-Man is, like, thrown into whatever reaction they're trying to achieve. By the Green Goblin, it messes something up, and you see flashes of the alternate versions of him. And then we get the, the scene where he makes Miles promise to stop this thing after he's been beaten pretty bad, and he... He's starting to cough, so he's getting worried, and and it doesn't look good for Peter Parker. He is then, like, punched to death by the Kingpin, which is super ballsy for a children's movie. And we, but right before that, actually, I'm going to back up just a little bit. There's another moment I set up and pay off with how Peter maneuvers his way to get to the to the green button and try to plug in the goober so we get that set up that will be paid off later and then another thing oh my god this movie is so well written it's got all these themes that start and then they conclude in another part of the movie and it's so weird but so many movies don't do that because so many movies suck (laughs) it's a very weird vast oversimplification oversimplification of the genre that I just did, but I mean, it's true. I mean, you'd be surprised how many movies, like, just straight up don't have themes. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, This movie does that well. Another time I'm going to say that. But this movie does that well. And Peter is dead. Miles is being chased. He goes home. This scene... Uh, kind of breaks my heart every time I watch it because just seeing the whole city united by the news of Spider-Man's death and all of them watching the news uh, on their phones or in Times Square or all this stuff, it's just, it really sells the heartbreak of New York losing basically its greatest hero. And I think that's really well done. And Miles, what he's feeling in this moment is really great and the fact that we get the last Stan Lee cameo oh it's, you know, I guess it's not the last but the last in a Spider-Man movie I guess is what I meant uh, and that's fantastic 
I love that part in the pawn shop or whatever. And then... Yeah, so it ends with Peter's funeral and MJ's speech. They're counting on Miles, even though it's just a metaphor, but they're still counting on him. So, he's attempting his leaps of faith. First try, mm-mm. Second try, also, mm-mm, but for a different reason. His shoes are untied, as you may recall. And he falls off the building, hits a wall, hits uh, some power lines, hits another wall, and... Ah, which is... Okay, I'm going to stop saying setup and payoff so that this can't be turned into a drinking game where you get blazed in like like a half an hour based on how many times I've said setup and payoff. I'm going to say this will be redone later. Perfect. Nailed it. Uh, yeah, we get the ah the, uh, as he falls down in big letters and then he breaks the goober and where he lands in the street, a two and a three from the apartment nearby land next to him. I really like this recurring theme because the lottery, like the ball that he wins the like the academic lottery for, is a 23-numbered ball. The spider that bites him is the 23 specimen. And here's another reference to 23. It's a very important number in Miles' life. And I think that's really cool. So he's broken the goober, and that sucks. So he goes to... Peter's grave, but oh wait, hold on, there's another Peter, but this one is Peter B. Parker, and we know his story a lot better, except it goes a little further than we know it. So it goes on into his late 30s, and he's been Spider-Man for 22 years, he married MJ, he made dicey money decisions, they split up, Aunt May is dead, he is fat, uh, out of work, just going through the motions, and really, really depressed. And this is one of my favorite interpretations of Peter Parker ever, because I love the idea that he peaked when he was basically 15, like before he had left high school, the highlights of his life were over. Actually, a, a reference to Brian Michael Bendis again, in his run on Ultimate Comics Spider-Man, uh, the first issue of that, like when that series kind of got rebooted, uh, is Peter at the mall in like this goofy fast food get-up, and he his internal monologue is like, uh, you're talking to a guy who has spider powers and invented a super thin web line so that he could swing through the streets of Manhattan with... I've fought the Green Goblin, the Vulture, Doc Ock, Electro. Like, he goes through all these villains. He's like, I've met the Avengers. I've fought with the Fantastic Four. I've been with the X-Men. I've saved the world, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I've seen and done more things in a year than most people will see and do in their entire life. And then he's like, I... And I want you to answer me one question. Look me straight in the eyes and answer me this one question. Would you like fries with that? And then he has to deal with like a stupid customer. But it is a really good point. And I can definitely see Peter like that, who in his pretty early teenage years has already like saved the world and saved the city and fought all the bad guys and met the superheroes, feeling like 
after 22 years of, of that, like, what else is, is for me in life? I'm trying to move on, but still being stuck in a, a situation where he really can't top himself, and he's just kind of perpetually falling deeper into, like, failing at everything he's trying, and I think that's really, really awesome, and it's just, like, an interesting interpretation, like, somewhere that I would not have ever thought to go with with Peter as a character, and it's honestly, like, my preferred interpretation, like, in my head canon, Peter is Spider-Man when he's 15, that's when he starts, 22 years later, he's transported to Miles Universe, he learns some valuable, valuable lessons about heroism and love, and he returns a new man ready to take on the world and be Spider-Man again, but be good at it. <laughs> I really, really love this interpretation of Spider-Man. Oof, I need another drink. Whoo, that's tiring. Ugh. <clears throat> All right. Well, we're already about at the time where most of the most. Ah. <clears throat> okay, we're already at the time where most of these episodes end. But obviously, this one's gonna keep going because we're only about halfway through the movie. But I promise, the the back half will be a little shorter. I have simultaneously more and less to say. So, let's keep going. I love. So after we get Peter back to the back to Aaron's apartment, he escapes the don't watch the mouth, watch the hands. That's going to be redone later. Uh Peter is so smart, and I think I've referenced this before, but in case I haven't, let me just say even the little moments where like he's like don't put me forward and he like puts the goober in his mouth and then Peter says, which sounded really dirty, like, that sounded like a euphemism for something, but anyway, he puts the hard drive, let's do that, in his mouth, and he's like, and then Peter asks him, what'd you say? And he's like, Arthur, and so he's, op- he, he said that, he knew what he said, but he said that so that he could get Miles to open his mouth so that he could, like, w- web the thing back, and then it's like, did you break this? And I love that he knows how to escape from things, and... He kind of knows how this will all go, and he's like, or everyone dies. That is what they always say. And the casual, like, walking down the wall and then the flip onto the car without even thinking about it, and he's just having a conversation. And I love that he's been, like, conditioned to already know all of these things after so many years, and he's just, like, sick of hearing it. He's sick of great power comes great responsibility, which is one of my favorite moments in this entire movie where he just he's like don't you dare finish that sentence don't do it i'm like oh i just got chills man all right i won't finish it sorry but i don't know i love how like strung out he is by all this and just how he he knows the game like back and back and front it's so cool it's really cool that for once an old character actually doesn't fall for all the same tricks which is a very common thing and i feel like a lot of movies with an older mentor character <clears throat> so we head to the hudson valley after a little deliberate after a little deliberation that's hard to say little deliberation actually it wasn't that hard uh we head to the hudson valley we have an awesome action sequence we get some more character building for Miles, where he 
he doesn't want to let Spider-Man die again. I think that's really cool. We get some more instances of Peter being super quick-witted and smart. And then Gwen is back. Actually, real quick, back up. I didn't mention, but uh, Liv. We get to, like, some more details on Kingpin's, like, organization. And he's working with a gender-swapped Doc Ock. And those arms are scary. Oh, my God. She does, like, a weird dog horse run thing. I don't even know how to describe it. Where she's, like, just going sicko mode through the woods. And she's chopping down trees. And I don't know, man. That's, like, oh, God. If that was coming at me... Uh, everyone else get out of my way. It's every man for himself. That is, mm, that's weird, but it's really cool. And, and yeah, Gwen comes in, kicks her butt, takes the, uh, takes the computer, and we get her backstory, her internal conflict, and we get to learn a lot more about her really quickly, and that's super awesome. And I love how she has her own distinctive style of being a spider person. And actually, I also like to say these action sequences are so creative. That's something that I really like uh, when that's done with the superheroes because a lot of times they can be overpowerful. And then, like, the solution is like, we'll just give them a villain that's even more powerful. But that can get boring after a while. So I like that. I mean, clearly, Liv is not more powerful than them. Like, Gwen takes her out with one kick. Like, it's not even really a competition. If she didn't have the arms, it would be, like, a two-second fight. But I like that she sort of has the advantage because she can chop down these trees and get stuff out of her way. And, like, the logs are falling and she's, like, climbing until the she gets to the top of the tree and then he's got no other choice. Like, oh, God, it's now or never. I gotta swing. And I love how they each only have one way to swing like they or one arm to swing with and then how the thrust of the scene is tr- is like simultaneously trying to keep the computer in the right hands but also trying to teach miles how to swing all this is just super like clever and it's interesting action like it's stuff that we haven't seen before which i think is is cool because i mean sometimes spider-man action can get a little samey <clears throat> spider-man far from home Alright, we get Kingpin's backstory right after this as well, we get the clicks, Uh, that is a really great piece of the score, and a really creative way to show his backstory, I love that he's not just a run-of-the-mill villain, sympathetic villains are one of my favorite things in movies, if you can sympathize with them and understand where they're coming from, I think that really makes the conflict a lot more interesting, and I love when that's an element of the story, and it's really well done here. Surprise, surprise. Uh, okay, so now we're only, we're getting to a part of the movie that I actually won't be saying that was done well about. Now look, it's not that I dislike it, for the most part, but I just don't like it as much as the other stuff. Lucky. Stop licking your paws, bro. I'm trying to record a podcast about Spider-Man. Don't you get it? Mm, he doesn't get it, guys. But I... Okay, so I love Aunt May. I love the spider shed. I love all this stuff. These unique elements of the world. But, oh my god. These spider people, the other three, do not need to be in this movie. 
listen, John Mulaney is really, really good. He's really funny, but you could totally cut him from the movie and you wouldn't lose anything. Except for that scene uh, where he goes ham. Oh, thank you. Uh, on the on the scorpion other than that like really i don't need him in the movie nicholas cage i wouldn't want to lose him because just the 40s insults that he comes up with and just the he's just a really weird dude absolutely love that like he's like uh is that all you got you're gonna fight or you're just pumping gums and he like throws the hat and then punches him and then pulls the car down, blows up the platform, and then grabs his hat, and he's like, you hard-boiled turtle slapper, and the explosion is like applesauce or whatever, like, what the, what is even happening? But it's amazing, I love it. Or the, he's like, wherever I go, the wind follows, and the wind smells like rain. I just love that, he's just so weird, and, but, but, I'd be fine if you even just had both of them. But Penny Parker makes me want to uh, drag my face on a cheese grater. I hate Penny Parker. Now listen, I don't think I've ever read a comic with her in it. But if she's this insufferable, I plan to not remedy that. I hate her in this movie. She's just so annoying and like the overtly cutesy, weird anime crap. Oh my god, I hate her so much. If... If this movie was exactly the same, but you took out everything with Penny, I would not care. Like, seriously, she adds nothing to it and just makes me want to gouge my eyes out every time she's on screen. Look, nothing against the actress or whatever, just the material that they give her and the weird, and she's like doing dances on the the robot. Just get get out of here with that. You take it, you keep it. Don't be putting in... In this movie, it's perfectly fine without you, Penny. Sorry, I really, really hate this character. Clearly. Uh, Alright, the training scene also has always weirded me out. It's not like, okay, Miles, it's time to train. It's like, we just met you, and now we're gonna beat you up. But, see what I'm saying? Like, I just, everything with them, it's just not on this quite the same level. But I still think it's really, it's really funny. That's, at least we, we have that. So it's not a total loss that it's in the movie, but because seriously, John Mulaney and, and Nick Cage, God, they're so funny. I don't, I didn't even, where's that wind coming from? We're in a basement wherever I go. And he like, oh, it's, it's so funny. Like, and I would just watch the Nicolas Cage scenes for like an hour and a half and that could just be the movie and I'd be fine. Alrighty. So he feels rejected. He goes to Uncle Aaron's. Surprise! Uncle Aaron's the Prowler, and then we get more of that music. God, the cues for the Prowler, where it's like, Boom! That was a pretty poor interpretation, but man, is that awesome. And it's like almost a horror movie score, and then it transforms into like the more upbeat hip-hop thing as they're fighting, and oh, I love that part. And were you followed? I guess I was followed, and here we go. This fight is so cool. Yeah, May gets some action. Uh, it's just, it's just cool and it's creative. Like they're going through the house and they're using parts of the house to fight. I think that's all really well done. And then, uh, Miles shows 
Uncle Aaron that he knows who he is and that, it, like, stop, please. And he does, but he pays the price. The kingpin shoots him. Quick offside. Offside? I don't know if that's a real thing, but a quick aside. That's what I meant. Uh, I had a friend who somehow thought that Uncle Aaron killed himself. He was like, yeah, 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 I really like the movie, really like the movie. Why did Aaron kill himself? And I was like, he didn't. The kingpin killed him. He's like, what? No, 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 bro, he, he definitely stabbed himself. And I was like, he stabbed himself with the kingpin's gun that had a big blam that took out the whole screen, and then it was smoking, and then he fired it again, and, like, Spider-Man punched him and everything, like... He stabbed himself with all that. He's like, wait, that happened? And I was like, yeah, yeah, bro. He didn't commit suicide in front of his nephew. He's like, oh, okay. And I was like, all right, broseph. You do you. <laughs> like, I don't even know how that's possible to misconstrue that that badly. But, hey, you know, whatever floats your boat. I'm just, I'm just glad he talked to me and didn't, like, always think that he killed himself somehow that would be i don't know that'd be really weird so he he does eventually die and this scene is very sad i like he, i wanted you to look up to me and he's like i let you down and all that is fantastic uh oh oh i almost forgot i gotta go back real quick to the spider shed when they go down to like the bunker and miles looks at spider-man's suit you can see his reflection in the glass and miles face and his eyes are on the spider symbol you can see the whole suit including the face but you you see miles his reflection is like on the spider-man symbol because he's still looking at spider-man as sort of some, a larger-than-life symbol, like something that he can't achieve because he doesn't believe he's ready yet. And he's not, to be fair. But this is some set-up and payoff that set up and payoff that will be redone later. And just you wait. Ah, I keep rocking the, the table. Sorry about that. Uh, like I said, I'm still a little uncomfortable with this new recording setup. So... Oh boy, we're about to get to a really important scene. All this stuff is so amazingly well done. Um, So Miles is back in his dorm, he's freaking out, he's throwing stuff around, and he's just angry and guilty and grief-stricken, and in comes the spider gang, and they try to comfort him, and then eventually it's revealed to Miles that he's they're not going to let him go to the collider and they're not going to let him try to stop the kingpin because they're worried he's going to get himself killed and he's they give him a test like okay you know Peter's like you can turn invisible on command so you can get past me or venom strike me right now or whatever and he can't and so when do I know I'm I'm Spider-Man? You won't. It's a leap of faith. And then they web him up and they leave. And and then you get what might be my favorite scene in the movie, or at least my second, when Miles' 
dad comes up to the door and just the framing of this scene, the way it's done, that Miles understands everything his dad is saying and wants to talk back but can't. So all he can do is listen and he has to he has to think about what his dad has said to him and finally gives him the confidence and the the push that he needs to to finally do what he he knows he has to and become Spider-Man. And this is so inspiring. Like I mean just like I don't it's not always a a common theme to to highlight is like familial love like love for your your dad and love for your uncle and like the importance of a family that's not always a a common theme in movies and this movie does it really well and I love this scene and the performance from uh oh, I don't remember the actor but but his performance as Jefferson in this scene is really, really good. And I love what he says here and, and how much it means for the movie. And so, we get one of the best scenes in this flippin' movie. He triumphantly goes back to the spider shed. And now, we get one of my favorite parts. Guys, he looks at the suit in the case and his eyes line up with the spider eyes. He measures up now. He didn't before and now he does. And now he can take it and make it his own. And he has web shooters now. And he can take his own leap of faith. And oh wow, is this scene awesome. Look, say what you will. Yes, it doesn't really make sense because time is of the essence and he's already like delayed at least an hour and now he's painting the suit and then you gotta wait for that to dry whatever I don't care it's so amazing and what it means that he just took he took everything from them and made it his own and ah it's so good and then the score mixed with the what's up danger song is so well done the way they're intertwined is Inextricable, inextricable for me. Uh, I, like, I don't like hearing one without the other. It's just so well done. And you get the redo of the, like, when he's falling and screaming and he's going up and woo! And then he's running on the rooftops and on the windows and jumping between the buildings. And god dang, this is so awesome. And then it ends with the cover slamming down on top of the other ones because yes he's spider-man now wow man this is whew, this is great this is leap of faith payoff this is some going up payoff uh like off of that flagpole also so he's jumping off the building right so he's going down but in the frame he's going up and that is awesome that is such a cool touch i mean because it you know like what it means he's rising he's meeting the challenge like he's going down in the scene but in the frame like the way it's framed the way it's not shot but the way it's animated it's it's showing you like visually what this moment means and oh my god it's so good this movie 
is so good. Okay, let's move on. We've actually gotten to the collider. Uh, we get Peter gets a a bit of a chance to reconcile all the things that he's been wanting to say to MJ, and and that's all really well done. <laughs> there we go again. Something's well done in this movie, and we move into the climax. Um, Peter's made up his mind. But they know they're here. They're prepared this time. And they're under attack. Peter is captured by Liv. And she's about to kill him before... Ooh. What? And then the the thing, you know, it's like ball up. And it starts punching her. And she's like getting kicked. And she's like, who did that? Ah, and she's like flailing around trying to get him back. And then we see some webs. And then... Spider-Man appears, and it's Miles, and he's got a new suit, and everyone's so proud of him, and Peter's just like, maybe I do actually want kids, and holy crap, the suit's so cool, man, and you're doing it on command now, and it's awesome, and then we just get all this cool stuff, like, we get the, like, the three-faceted attack on uh, Liv after, after Miles saves Gwen from falling into the thing. Uh, so we we get all that, and then while that happens, you can sort of see Peter uh, adjusting his glove and Miles, like, sort of fidgeting with something, and then uh, Liv gets hit by the the truck, and Miles is like, you know, guys, I got it, and he's like, I'll go, I'm the one with the, and then you see, Miles has the goober, and the whole, don't watch the mouth, watch the hands, paid off he does the same moves that peter did in the beginning of the movie before he died and he does it he succeeds um and all this awesome action is going on but i mean the characters are what i'm really here for and i think that's what this movie does best so all of them saying goodbye is honestly better in my opinion than than what like, the actual action that's going on, it's more interesting, and to me, it's even more engaging, like, I'd rather watch that than watch the action, like, I just, I love them, like, recognizing how important they all are to each other, and, and saying goodbye, and being, like, thankful for what they've, like, the time they've got to spend, and I think that's all really awesome, and he gets to, like, the hairdo now, paid off, uh, time is relative, paid off, and then, we get what might be the best part of this whole freaking movie when Peter's like, uh, do not wait for me. Miles throws him to the, to the ground and he's like, what are you doing? You're going to get yourself killed. I can't let Spider-Man die. And Miles is like, neither can I. And then he, he swipes his feet out from under him. He grabs him again and then he's like... It's a leap of faith, so he's then imparted the lesson that Peter did to Miles. And oh my god, I can't even talk, I'm smiling so much. Freaking, man, this scene is so good. And uh, he throws him into his dimension. That's a leap of faith. This is inspiring. I think that before I do anything, like, really important and really daunting in the future, I think I should watch, like, the back half of this movie because it's just inspiring moment after inspiring moment, and it's fantastic. Uh, we, we get the reconciliation of 
the Kingpin versus Miles arc. So Miles has learned to appreciate family and to keep them in your hearts, even though you can't do anything about them being gone, but you just have to take what they gave you and, and move forward with it. Whereas the the Kingpin is still stuck in his ways. He can't uh he he can't move past the grief of losing his family and he's willing to ruin all these other people's lives just to get them back. But Peter stops him and he stops him with an appreciation for family. He's taken everything that his uh sort of chosen family of the spider people uh he's he's taken everything that they've taught him and he's taken everything that his uncle and his dad taught him and he gives him the shoulder touch and he saves the day and then we get the conversation with jefferson afterwards oh man this this is really good and the the affected voice he puts on and i love you and he gives him the hug and then and we get Miles' own comic book origin thing. And it kind of wraps up the movie beautifully. And this final swing is why I love Spider-Man movies. It's like a celebration of everything that he's learned. And it shows you, you know, sort of where he is now following the the big events of the, the climax. And... He's become much more of a hero. He's turned in his essays, so he's full commitments at school. His dad and, and him have paid memoriam to his uncle. He's met a new friend and his roommate. And he is officially Spider-Man now. And he's encouraging you to take up the mask too, to do your own good. And that's amazing. And the whole while, there's all these fantastic shots of him swinging around and he's doing super cool moves and man this is this is just fantastic the heart here and everything that it it means for the story Mm. yeah uh needless to say it's just a little bit better than the far from home ending where it's are you guys dating and then don't text and swing and then he's just swinging around new york doing basically nothing interesting or valuable because uh that movie sucks in every way and uh, this movie is phenomenal i mean from start to finish it is amazing and the impact that it has by the time it's over is just it's just amazing i love it so much absolutely the best Spider-Man movie, and uh, and in case that wasn't enough, they throw you in a freaking post-credit scene with Spider-Man twenty ninety-nine, and that assistant that I don't remember her name, I feel like Veronica or something, but I know that's not right. But she's like a yellow hologram lady in the comics, and it seems like that's basically what she is here. Uh, and this is sort of setting up for the sequel, while also just kind of telling a funny joke. Um, and I think that's also really well done. Whew. Okay. Before I get out of here, I know this is a pretty long episode, but I'd like to make a few more comparisons. I've been trying to compare and contrast this movie to other interpretations of the character, other examples, good and bad, from the genre as a whole. Uh, 
and I've been trying to kind of use them to help me demonstrate my points about why I think this movie succeeds uh, more than any other, really, because honestly, I mean, I know it doesn't mean as much for the superhero genre as a whole, like, it's certainly not as meaningful as Avengers, like, in terms of influence or, like, uh, like, the power that it has, because in its own way, it's sort of just another Spider-Man movie, and it's, you know, it's not, it's not achieving the same things in terms of continuity or, like, amount of characters as Avengers Endgame or whatever, like, it's not in the same class, but in my, in, in my, like, ranking of superhero movies, honestly, I think it's one of, if not the best one, if only for its love of the source material, like, its love for, for characters from all walks of life and all different, um, like, they come from all different creators and eras and they kind of just took the best things about all different kinds of Spider-Man and put them into one and they have references to comics and it looks like a comic come to life and it's all just really, really well done. And I think in terms of being a direct translation from page to screen with a little bit of a twist, it's absolutely perfect. And so in my opinion, then it's one of the best Spider-Man, well, it is the best Spider-Man movie, but it is one of the best comic book movies in general. With that said, let's talk about one of the worst. Uh, I'm going to compare and contrast this to the two Spider-Man 2 movies. So there is actually Spider-Man 2. Oh my god. Sorry, I'm about to make my closing statements and the dog wants to go downstairs for something. Oh, he just can't sit still. Alright. Uh, Spider-Man 2 is still considered by a lot of people to be the best Spider-Man movie. Uh, I'm not even going to consider Amazing Spider-Man 2 because, oh boy, that movie. If if Spider-Verse is an example of everything to do right, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is an example of everything to do wrong. But I think I'd like to talk about why I believe Spider-Verse is better than Spider-Man 2, and then I'd also like to quickly talk about, in the specific topic of, uh, of like, a mentor character, I'd like to talk about how Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse does it a lot better than Far From Home, or Homecoming for that matter. But let's start with why I think it's the best Spider-Man movie, and I think it's sort of for the reasons that I've already outlined, is just the... It's just the, the the reference and the love that's in it, and certainly there's a lot of passion for the for the character in all the Sam Raimi movies, but I think there's just a certain way that it comes through more. It's more vibrant, it's more infectious in this movie than it is in uh in Spider Man two because it's just a generally more happy and upbeat movie. And I think that's all, that's one important part of Spider-Man that I don't think that the Raimi movies ever really tap into. They're sort of relentlessly mean and depressing. And that doesn't mean I don't like them. But I... The vast majority of Spider-Man 2 is predicated on, this, like, Peter just being 
crapped on by literally everyone in his life. And that's just not fun to watch after a while. It certainly makes you sympathize more with his struggles, but there's a way to do that while still keeping it lighthearted and fun. And I also think that uh, it's just... Spider-Verse is just better written. It's a much more tight script. It is a lot better job of making a much more fulfilling arc for the main characters. And I think it... Um, it's just... does a better job of saying a lot with a little. And it's... It gives you so much. Like, a, so much in a movie that it almost seems like this would be like a two and a half hour movie. But it's an hour and a half. And that's amazing because it's so concise. And it... It's so, like sharp and and really well constructed but it is so short it's so streamlined and I think that's just a bit more interesting story and it's more dynamic because it's just super quick and it does a lot of things that I've touched on in this review but that's only because I've noticed them after seeing it for a lot of I've seen it a lot of times but I mean, upon first viewing, some of the stuff, like, it takes a couple repeat viewings to really pick up on all of it. Some of this is never really fully explained, and it's sort of just left to the viewer to keep up. Whereas in Spider-Man 2, there's sort of more of that element of, let's all sit around and talk about our problems. Where, like, Peter literally says out loud, am I not supposed to have what I want, what I need? But he's saying it to no one. Whereas in this, there's a lot more characters to bounce off of, a lot more people that understand each other's struggles and are there for them and are teaching each other lessons, even without knowing it. And I just think that that's a much, uh, just a better way to tell a story. And while I'm not saying Spider-Man 2 is bad by any means, I just think it's a lot cleaner and just a lot tighter. Uh, And then I guess the last thing is, I like the fact that Miles is the most interesting character in his movie because for like say what you will about all the Spider-Man movies the the Sam Raimi ones but I mean for me Peter is the least interesting character in his own movies I think the villains always have more going on and there's more, like, like his job, all the characters in his job are more interesting. Like, Aunt May, her struggles are a lot more interesting. Just the side characters and the character that he gives to all the random people you meet, which has the same effect that this movie does, which is creates, like, New York feeling like an actual character, like a really fully formed place it does take away from Spider-Man, like, as a as a character himself, where it, it almost seems like everyone besides him has more character, and I think that's just because we don't get a lot of Peter's, like, what does he do? Like, what's, how does he like to spend his time? We don't, we don't really get a lot of that, and so therefore we don't, like, learn a lot about him through that, and I understand that it's, like, it's like he 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 has to be Spider-Man so that prohibits him from doing a lot of the things that he want 
types to do, but in in these movies, it's very much their take that the only thing he really wants is just to be with Mary Jane. Like, other than that, he's basically happy. I mean, he he definitely has the arc of learning to have more balance and, and be more comfortable with himself in Spider-Man 2. But after that, there's never really that classic struggle of him wanting to be Peter Parker but having to be Spider-Man. That doesn't ever really happen again. And so... Well, obviously, I wouldn't want a character to regress instead of progress. I think it's, it also takes away from him being a super interesting character because he's just sort of wants Mary Jane, gets Mary Jane, and then doesn't really have anything that he wants anymore. And I know that's kind of going past Spider-Man 2, and I know Spider-Man 3 is obviously the weakest, but I'm just saying, in general, in all of those movies, I think that Peter just... I don't know, he's not super interesting as a character, and he's definitely relatable, it's definitely rewarding to see him overcome his struggles, but it's mostly just him being crapped on, like I said, and I think a lot of that is also part of the, like, the performance, he's just kind of this, like, milk toast, just pushover, and I understand that that's the character, but it's just that he never really gets... Like he never really grows past that. It's not like that's where he starts, but that's not where he ends. He's always sort of just a dope. And I just don't think that's very interesting that he never gets more confident. He never really advances even in the slightest. He's just sort of the same dummy the whole kind of time. I'm not sure if I've explained that very well, but... um, I don't know. I think Miles starting out a little more uncomfortable and progressively growing more confident, more into himself is much more interesting, and it's done a lot quicker as well. So I think for all those reasons and everything else I've previously laid out, uh, that's that's just better. And then mentors. Uh, mentors, I feel strongly that a mentor character should be put in a movie and it should be a situation where the mentor teaches the mentee and the mentee teaches the mentor. They should it should be like a like a co-op relationship. It shouldn't be one-sided. I think that if it's if it is then it's it's kind of a non-character. And so when Basically, Tony Stark's sole purpose in the Spider-Man movies is to, the more modern ones, is to either bail him out or chew him out, and he never really, oh, or tell him what he's doing wrong. Other than that, I feel that that Peter and Tony's relationship is just pretty crappy, and I, like, the mentor character serves only to assist like, physically assist the the mentee character, and they never really grow from one another, and they, like, it, it, there's never really a point where Peter has to do it on his own, where it's like, he's he's given you everything, and now it's time for you to, to, to go at it alone, to triumphantly go to battle, and you don't have a helping hand anymore because, I don't know, for whatever reason... And now it's 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 up to you now. And I and in Homecoming it's certainly done better, but 
But still, in the end, Tony swoops in and is like, okay, here you go, uh, son. Uh, here's a new suit, and you can be an Avenger now. Even though, I mean, he certainly saved some people, but he did knock down a bunch of rides and then crash a plane onto a beach. And, like, it's not really that much better than the ship. In, in which case, no one died. Like, still no one died. And all these things that he did in the movie, no one died. But... Honestly, the closest I think that came was crashing a plane in a major metropolitan area. Like, I mean, yeah, those people probably aren't going to feel too good for a while. But, like, if you fall off a boat, chances are, I mean, you're going to be able to swim. I don't know. It seems like, honestly, the, the situation by the end that he's rewarded for is worse than what he he did well, and, or, or, my bad, or is worse than what he did poorly, I'm sorry, and then I also think that it's, like, he still, like, basically F's up, and, like, everything goes wrong, he, he doesn't really get to the vulture, the vulture basically comes for him after he's just, like, helplessly on the side of the plane, and then, I mean, he turns the plane, but other than that, he doesn't really stop the vulture, the vulture does everything to himself, like, he damages his wingsuit, he flies it even though he it's clearly not safe, and it's not like Peter really beats him, he just sort of gets beat up and does his best to avoid things being bad, and then, oh wait, look, things are good, even though I didn't really have a direct hand in that. So, I mean, it's whatever, but like, if he would have left it alone, it honestly would have been better, so they fly it to another place. Okay, well I'm sure that they can that there's another way to track that. And once they realize it's a drone, I mean, you got Iron Man and the Avengers on the side, like, on your side. You're gonna find him pretty quickly. It's not like Peter was the only one for the job. It's not like Peter learned something that made him uniquely suited to to save the day. And then, don't even get me started about how ridiculous it is that after Tony is dead in Spider-Man Far From Home, he's still saving the day. Even dead, I'm the hero. He's got glasses that can control the whole world. And he's got his personal assistant that flies in with a plane to get Peter out of a tight spot and give him a new suit and rescue his friends and do basically everything for him. When it would be so much interest so much more interesting and such better drama if Peter actually had to figure something out for himself. But he doesn't. He's still completely reliant on Iron Man. He's completely reliant on Shield. He's completely reliant on happy like everything that he needs is just handed to him there's no moment where he actually has to go after something himself like how much better would it have been how much more interesting would it have been if peter his suit has been taken away and he's now left with nothing and he has to figure out a way to get home fashion a new suit and fight his way through these drones and get mysterio all on his own, if he couldn't get bailed out immediately. I don't see how you could argue with me that that's not better drama, that that's not more interesting. It doesn't, like, that it's not a better crucible for the hero to have to undergo. Like, this is Peter, or this is Miles is alone. He saved the day by himself. He pressed the green button. He pushed the goober in. He saved them from being killed. Like, he fought his way there, and he saved the day for them. They were there, and they helped 
but at the end of the day, they didn't beat the kingpin. Miles beat the kingpin. Like, at the end of the day, Iron Man still technically beats Mysterio. It's still Iron Man's tech. It's still Iron Man's invention that gets Peter out of a tough spot. So, this is a long-winded way to say that I think a mentor has to exit the film at a certain point after what they've needed to do is done, after the function that they've served is done, and after the characters have grown together, now the one of the characters has to take their own agency and solve the problem on their own. I'm done talking, my voice hurts. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed this review. I'm sure it, it was a pretty daunting runtime for this episode. Is it me? Or is this podcast getting a little bit better, but also a little bit worse? Uh, Please let me know. And uh, I never want to talk about Spider-Man Far From Home again, because every time I do, I just get flustered and angry. And then I sort of start making weird points. And I, uh, look, I don't know, maybe you thought it was well put together, but I certainly could have done it better. Uh, But uh, whatever you think. Please let me know. Uh, you can email the show at moviesandmorepod at gmail.com. You can hit me up at moviesandmorepod at in, on Instagram. and uh, Or if you want to just reach me directly, giovanniandrioli21 on Instagram. So all those places you can hit me up. I would love it if you uh, left a review and a five-star rating for the show. It's available in, on Overcast now, so... Hey, oh, crap, I forgot this last episode too, Gratefuls, 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 uh, I said I was going to start doing them, and so I am, I am grateful for help, I'm grateful that like I have people that can come in and help me with things, like sometimes I'm at work and I just have a lot of stuff to do and I don't think I can totally finish it all, so someone helps me out or with the comic we were having issues with printing so my dad stepped up and and helped me out of a pretty tough spot so that the comic could get printed okay and that's amazing and so cool of of everyone and it's great that I have people that'll do that for me so I am grateful that people are willing to reach out and help and I am thankful for the help that they've given me so yeah how you like me now? I don't even know. Uh, yeah, Instagram, email, do whatever you want. Uh, let me know what you think of the show. Leave a rating if you want. That'd be really helpful. And then, uh, yeah, I'll see you in the next one. I hope this was a, an in-depth and good review. Uh, I'm pretty tired now. I'm going to go edit this. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. I shall see you in the next one.